Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I live in Seattle, and I basically consider it my hometown at this point. My co-host, Tiffany Parks, lives abroad in Rome. She's been there now for over 15 years. And this show began in Rome, when I moved abroad and lived there for just one year, on Tiffany's street. But we go way back. I met her on the school bus in sixth grade. If you're curious about moving abroad, or currently live abroad, or maybe you just absolutely love Italy, or love contemplating and exploring the big themes of life, well, you've come to the right place. Don't be afraid to dig around in the archives, even as far back as episode one. We're on a journey here, and you will not regret it. Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Nancy and Rachel. Thank you for supporting the show. We appreciate it so much. If you're invested in keeping this show around and in your life, you can visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net, and make a one-time donation there, just like Nancy and Rachel did. Or go to patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast and get bonus episodes along with your monthly donation. You'll find links in the show notes. Thank you so much for loving this show, for paying for it. Art is never free. Thank you to those of you who have kept the show going in the past, and for those of you who will keep it going in the future. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany in Rome, Katie in drenched in rain Seattle. We are going to do an episode that was requested by a listener today, and I'm going to read you this email. This is from Stephen. I was wondering if you guys would consider talking about day-to-day life in Italy versus the United States. I took my deeply American, and this is where we have a problem because he's missing a word here. <laughs> I, took, I, <laughs> I took my deeply American blank something from the deep south to Milan and Bologna last June to see my family, to eat out and tour, etc. So what do we want to guess that is? Deeply American wife? Deeply American friend? Well, he he mentions his wife later in the email. I think it might be in-laws, my deeply American in-laws from the deep, deep south, or could be his parents, uh, could be his just his wife, could be if some friends. I'm not sure. We don't know. Somebody who's deeply American. <laughs> <laughs> my boss, my deeply American boss. <laughs> Dog? Okay. Either way. I think in-laws. I'm betting in-laws. Okay, we'll go in-laws. I took my deeply, my extremely American in-laws from the deep south to Milan and Bologna last June to see my family and to eat, tour, etc. Sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> eat, tour, etc. One of my cousins brought his littlest son out for dinner with us one night, and I believe that's a cousin that lives in Italy, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Took his littlest son out to dinner with us one night. The boy was three or four at the time, and my wife couldn't wrap her head around the fact that this toddler was having dinner with us at 10 at night. Our little guy turns in around 8. I also know many Americans don't fully comprehend the Italian workday. Thanks for all you do, Stephen. So... Yes. So we're, we'll mm-hmm. do our take on this. Obviously, we can't do the entire scope of Italy versus the United States. But why don't we take up this issue about a kid eating at 10 p.m.? Yeah. Which I agree in the United States would be very unusual. 
generally speaking. Yes, almost unheard of, except for maybe, I don't know, maybe in like big cosmopolitan cities, people do it. But I have always been stunned since long before I had children with how late kids stay out here, not just how late they stay up, but like how late they stay out. And if you go out in, especially in the summertime and you walk around, like if you're out having a drink with friends, midnight, 1 a.m., and you will see young couples just walking around, like taking a passeggiata with a toddler in a stroller. Sometimes it doesn't even seem like they're going anywhere. They're just walking around. They're just having a nice night and their toddler is there. It's a Friday night. Yeah, it's Friday night. And, you know, sometimes the kid is awake and sometimes the kid is asleep. But that has always shocked and quite frankly appalled me. As a mother now, I can't imagine doing that. Um, I mean, you're married to an Italian man. Mm -hmm. This would have been normal, something he would see normally all his life and probably even might have been out at night when he was a kid. How do you guys come together on this? Does he agree with you that your kids should be in bed at eight? Or does he feel like, hey, it's a Friday night. We don't have a sitter. Let's go. Let's take him out. He he agrees with me. He's He's got a certain amount of American mentality that might be surprising. Well, he's very cautious, as just as his personality, despite his nationality. He's just a cautious person. He's not someone who would be like, hey, honey, we might have a two-month-old baby, but let's just, let's fly to China for the weekend. He's not that type of person. No. Whereas I almost, I mean, maybe not at two weeks, but I'm much more like, hey, I have a baby. That's okay. I can still go to Paris for a week, for the weekend. Maybe not China, but, um, but he's not really like that. He's much more of like, this is the responsible thing to do. What, you know, what's best for our child? That's what we're going to do. So he, it was never an issue for us. We're very lucky. We're very fortunate. We have a babysitter down the street who's always available. That's my mother-in-law. Aurelia was old enough now that when we go out, we just take him over to her house and he spends the night. And for him, it's the highlight of his week or his month. It's just he loves spending the night at Nonni's house. When he was younger, she would come and stay at our house until we came home, like a typical babysitter, I guess. But the first year of his life, we were in Trastevere. We didn't have her nearby. So we just didn't go out, period. And I mean, even in the second year of his life, he was still breastfeeding. We just didn't go out. So would you say that, I know she babysits for you, but would you say babysitting in general, like we would understand it in the United States, is uncommon in Italy then? Yeah, that's another thing. Babysitting is quite rare because so many people have grandparents who live nearby. They're their children's grandparents. I was a prolific babysitter as a kid. There were so many babysitters in the United States. There were so many like young girls who were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make some money. I just feel like Italian girls are, especially young teenagers, they're not interested. They probably don't have time because they do so much homework over here. It's just very uncommon for young people to work. It's very uncommon for high schoolers to work, but even college students, a lot of them just live at home and just focus on their studies. You don't have the market of babysitters. So you see toddlers out at one in the morning or having dinner at 10, like Steven says. Do you see kids that are more like eight, slightly older? I can tell you why I'm asking that question. I have a friend who actually, a couple friend that we met in Rome, actually, who are Americans, but they had this policy about their children, which was basically, if you're the baby of the family, like say you've just been born or you're up to age three or four, you can just stay up as long as you want. You basically are just up 
you know, until you fall over. <laughs> if you're older, you have a bedtime. Like if you're the seven, eight year, seven year old, eight year old sister, you're going to bed at eight o'clock. That baffles me. And that's always worked for them. They have a, a massive family. They have lots of children, but they, that's always been the way it is. So when we used to hang out with them in Rome, the baby would always just be like bopping around the room while everybody else is asleep. <laughs> I think I've mentioned this to you on the show before. There was one time when I looked at the baby and it was probably like almost one in the morning. And I said, isn't he tired yet? And the mother looked over and says, oh, he's tired. And just threw a pillow on the floor. And the kid just whoop, like <laughs> collapsed on the pillow and was out. But anyway, so it just made me wonder, like, if if Italian culture does have bedtimes, it just doesn't have them enacted until later on. Yeah, I think it really depends on the family. But I talk to a lot of mothers of kids who are friends with Aurelio and None of them go to bed anywhere near the hour that Aurelio goes to bed. I mean, I try to get him in bed by 7.30. He's usually not fully asleep until closer to 8. But, you know, by 7, he's in his jammies, brushing his teeth, on his way to bed. Whereas his friends have dinner, even on a normal night, you know, at home, they're having dinner at 8, 8.30. They're going to bed 10, 10.30. And if the kid has to be up at seven for school, I just don't feel like that's enough hours. So, but that's, you know, that's my American side speaking. Um, but I will say that one other difference between Italian daily life and uh, I think Stephen mentioned wor Italian work life and uh, its American counterpart is that Italians seem to work later into the evening than Americans do. I mean, America, it's like generally five o'clock, you're done. I mean, unless you have a specific type of job that's going to go later or you have one of those super important, like you're the press secretary of the United States or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's the classic Dolly Parton working nine to five is the stereotype. Yeah. yeah, nine to five. It's a stereotype. And here I feel like it's it goes much later in the day. My sister-in-law routinely everything's different now because of the pandemic. So I'll just pre-pandemic stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, she routinely would not get home until seven or eight at night. And I have lots of friends who say, I can't put my kid to bed at 7.30. He would never see his dad or he would never see me because I don't get home from work until eight o'clock or 8.30, which I mean, I get that. But... So why is that though? Are they starting later than we do? I think some of them do. When the schools open back up here in September, they made a decision to have different shifts to drop your kid off. So now it's the 8 to 8.30 shift, the 8.30 to 9 shift, and the 9 to 9.30 shift. And I was like, oh my God, I have got to sprint to the 8 to 8.30 shift because I want to get my kid to school as soon as possible so I can get home and start working. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't believe how many parents chose the 9 to 9.30 shift most people are back to work by now. Even if they're working from home, they're back to work. And so I'm like surprised that so many parents don't need to drop their kid off until 9.30 in the morning. So clearly some work situations start later. My job started at nine. Well, and what about the perhaps stereotype that there's a big nap time in the middle of the day? You have your wine at your business <laughs> lunch or at your mom's house, wherever yeah. you go for lunch, and then you just nap it off for two to three hours, and then you go back. I would say that's very rare, especially in a big city. I think if you go to the smaller towns, you go to like places that are sort of, I don't want to say stuck in the past, but you know, that haven't 
advanced, like not Milan, not Rome. You know, if you go to like a small town in Abruzzo or something or Sicily, you might have that. And what happens is if you live in a small town, you live close enough to wherever you work that you can easily come back home for lunch. So the idea was, especially for people who had a shop, shops close for like a big chunk of the day in small towns. In the big cities, they don't do that so much. So some shops still do it. Yeah, I feel like in Rome, the banks did it, certainly. Oh, the bank, the, don't even, banks have the most ridiculous hours. Don't even get me started on banks. I hate the bank's hours. I know that some of the little shops that I lived above in Trastevere used to close too from about one to three. Yeah, they did. So even four, sometimes the shops don't open again until four. So I would say about 50-50 of the shops will close during the day. If you go to like Zara, no, Zara is going to be open all day. Right. But if you're going to the like the little, the guy who hand makes leather journals, that's going to be closed in the middle of the day. So they close at one. So this is the difference. The little shops are independently owned. You own your own shop and you might be the only person who works there or, you know, at the most your kids work there with you or your spouse works there with you. So you don't have any employees to like keep it going while you're at lunch. So you close it, you go home to your wife. I mean, this is the old fashioned way. Your wife, of course, at that point wouldn't work because, you know, we're, we're back in the fifties right now, or we're in a small town. You go home, your wife has cooked for you or your mom, if you're still living at home you have lunch, you have a glass of wine with lunch, and yes, maybe maybe you take a nap or maybe you just relax, and then you leisurely go back to work around four. But then you have to work later, like the shops open until eight at night. So the hours in the end are probably roughly the same, although Saturdays, like it might only be open in the morning, and on Mondays, probably only in the afternoon, and then Sundays it would be closed. So that's like the classic old-fashioned shopkeeper's hours from 10 to 1 and from 4 to 8. Now, the stereotype is that Europeans don't work as hard as Americans. Well, first, before I get to that, before I get to that, I do want to just clarify one other thing about this nap time thing. I think that if you don't work in a shop, there's no more nap time. Office people, they don't have that long of lunch break. Pretty much the only people taking lunch breaks are people who work in and own small shops. So nobody else does this. But there is a rule that you can't make a lot of noise between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. <laughs> it's not a law, but for example, in our building, people are pretty respectful in our building. If somebody is drilling and it's like two o'clock, they have to stop. You can't do construction work between 2 and 4 p.m. because that's the time when like you need quiet. And that was great for me when Aurelio was little and napping because I would just time his naps at the time when everyone had to be quiet. It was brilliant. That's very interesting. Well, that would mean then that it's not just shop owners. It's also construction workers. It <laughs> probably is garbage men. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. This is fascinating too. You know, it's funny. When I moved to Rome after over a decade or so in radio, I thought this will be great. My ears will get a break. And Rome was the loudest place I <laughs> ever lived by far. So it's very funny to me that there would be a quiet time. But you lived for a short period of time in New York. But it's a different kind of loud. Like New York is very, very loud from a traffic and construction standpoint. But I mean, just everything the Italians seem to do 
they just did it louder. We've talked about this a little bit. If you're loading chairs into the back of a truck, yeah. you're not setting them in. You're flinging them in. Yeah. Metal crashing. Dogs bark louder. The people talk louder. And it could just be the buildings being so close together that the sound is ricocheting more. I'm not going to say it's a different kind of loud than New York City. Could be. But, man, I, I got to tell you. I didn't lose part of my hearing until I lived in Rome. Huh. Like, I thought it would be radio that did it, but no. <laughs> you you lost wait you lost your hearing because of living in Rome. Explain that. Well, it was in living in Rome where my one of my ears first started ringing permanently. Wow, I have a hard time blaming Rome for that. It was probably coming already. I lived on the same street, Katie. Oh no, I don't blame <laughs> Rome for that. I'm just saying that that's where it happened. Okay. Okay, fair it's enough. It's a coincidence. Uh, the radio was ultimately that what caused it. But but anyway, I do think that for a place that's as loud as Rome, which, you know, you have to admit, Rome's pretty loud. <laughs> what with the scooters and the horns and everything. It is loud. I don't notice it anymore. I just find it fascinating. Next time I'm in Italy, I'm going to listen between two and four and see if I can notice a notable difference. You know, I don't, I doubt people in Trastevere respect that rule. I never even knew about that rule until I was living in this quiet neighborhood. Claudia's like, okay, if it's two o'clock, if anyone's drilling, we'll put a message on the WhatsApp chat and tell them to stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty great. Can I ask you about something you brought up earlier? Yeah. You mentioned kids having tons of homework. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to be able to... to this necessarily because I don't have kids in the American school system. But you do often hear parents complaining, and again, COVID makes things different, but parents complaining that kids have too much homework in America. And I have no personal evidence whether they do or not at this point. But would you say that Italy's homework is more extreme? Well, you know, I don't have kids in the American school system either, but I can almost guarantee you unless things have dramatically changed since we were kids, Italy is, I mean, it's so much worse. It's so much worse. The the homework situation is, it's, in my mind, it's ridiculous. I have a sister-in-law who is, she's now 19, but I saw her from seven to 18, elementary school, middle school, high school. I saw her, it was unreal the amount of homework that she had. She was constantly studying. She was constantly having to memorize. It's memorization here. It's rote memorization. You have to take a history book and you have to learn X number of pages and you have to learn it basically by heart because they interrogate you. You don't sit down and have like a nice multiple choice quiz. No, they interrogate you and you have to stand (laughs) up. They call it interrogation. (laughs) Like a scary word. That's the word that they use in Italian, interrogazione. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) We'll just, you know, we'll just execute you if you do this wrong. But I mean, for a teenager, it is kind of like that because I mean, obviously you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of your friends. That's almost life or death. So you have to stand up in front of everyone and they... They ask you questions, open-ended questions, as if you were a PhD candidate defending your thesis. I mean, obviously, the the level is not going to be that high, but they're like, okay, talk to us about the French Revolution, and you just have to go. You just have to start talking about it. Jeez. It's beyond me. I remember my father-in-law studying with my with my sister-in-law, and he would be just repeating and re-repeating this stuff, and he would try to get her to repeat it. It was rote. Remember, she was trying to memorize lines, like as if she was in a play. Um, And I don't think that's a positive way to learn at all. I don't think that's the kind of learning that stays with you. I could say a hundred horrible things about the Italian school system. So don't get me started. That reminds me very much of what it was like for you to get your tourist uh, certification. Oh, God. 
my tour guide like like I don't even want to talk about that it's it's traumatic it's traumatic it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it's not there's no reason for it what I know about Italian Italian school system from mothers who have older children and from seeing my sister-in-law go through it is that there's one way of teaching here there's no saying oh this student has a different learning style there's none of that. I mean, obviously, if there are kids with disabilities, that's a different story. But if you just like are, oh, you know, I'm the type of student, I'm much more oral than I am visual or vice versa. They don't care. You're like somebody who has extreme, quote unquote, stage fright. There's probably a better word for it. Who is terrified of standing up and speaking in front of people. They don't care. You have to do it. You all have to do it the same way. The teachers who are older, they've been doing it the same exact way forever. And they're not going to ever change the way that they teach. Obviously, there might be one or two exceptions out there. Claudio says and he loves to read. He loves to learn. He's a lifelong learner type person. And he said, Italian school will take a child who likes to learn and absolutely destroy that love of learning. We'll just squash it out of them and we'll destroy. And I saw it with my sister-in-law. I saw it happen in, in front of my eyes. It's really a shame. And I think that, you know, when kids graduate high school here, they probably know a lot more than American kids know. But what do they use that knowledge for? Yeah. You know, and what's the cost of that knowledge? You know, do they just give up and say, there's no way I'm going to university because I can't bear it to study anymore? Mm -hmm. You know, or maybe they go to university and they find that all of the work that they did in high school was, there was no point to it because I don't, you know, I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, and what does it do to a society if it was a bunch of people who just have no interest in learning anymore? Yeah, and I mean, Italians are not big readers. Italians, as a rule, I mean, obviously there's always exceptions, but Italians, as a rule, do not like to read. I feel like Americans are bigger readers. And I actually have a, an acquaintance who has same situation as me, except I think her husband is also American, but they live over here and they have kids who are now grown. And she said that... If you can only afford to send your child to private international school for a few years, send them to primary school. Oh, really? I would have thought, you know, better to send them to high school in, you know, the English language if, if you want to avoid the nightmare of, of Italian high school. And, and she said one of her kids did primary school in English and the other did it in Italian. And she's like, the one who did it in English loves to read. Mm. Because the teachers instilled a love of reading and they taught it in a way that was pleasurable and enjoyable and fun. And the Italian teachers just taught it as a torture. <laughs> Interesting. I have a colleague who I've talked about a lot who's Italian and she always shows off about how good the Italian educational system is and how you know she has French cousins and her French cousins never knew as much as she did. And I'm like, what's the point of all that knowledge if, if you're made miserable by it? You don't ever have the desire to do anything with it. Yeah, I'm a little bit anti-Italian school. And I say that as a mother who's about to send her child to Italian elementary school next year. <laughs> right. Pray for me. Right. Pray for me. Well, and that very same system, that torture, that is the reason that you impress so many people who listen with your knowledge of facts and figures. That's why you could be like, oh, the, the Pope, something to this from the year 1347 <laughs> or whatever. And everyone's like, gosh, how does she know the year? Or you'll be like, no, no, that's wrong. 48. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's partly because you went in your own way, went through the same torturous 
memorization process yeah to be certified as a tour guide yeah it was a total nightmare but i'll just give you one example of a question the painting uh i mean you know i'm a caravaggio person i think everyone listening knows that the painting of the the calling of saint matthew by caravaggio was painted in a like if this is america it would be like a 1480 b 1575, C, 1615, or D, 1900. Yeah, it's like, get just get in the right era. Yeah, the right century. <laughs> <laughs> A, 1598, B, 1599, <laughs> C, 1600, or D, 1601 to 1602. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's serious. It was the, the, the Matthew of St. Angel, and the answer to that is 1601 to 1602. And I got that question right. Hey, that's funny. I was going to say 1601 to 1602. Oh, my gosh. For St. Matthew of the Angel, yeah. I've absorbed this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did read uh, Peter Robb's wonderful book, Am the Man Who Became Caravaggio, yes. also known as the Caravaggio Enigma. It changed its name. But yeah. Yeah, that's serious. It's ridiculous. You do not need to know to be a good tour guide. Obviously, you don't want to think that Caravaggio was painting in the 1700s, but you don't need to be that specific. It's, to me, more, more important that you're a good communicator to be a good tour guide, um, that you can engage people, that you can make these stories interesting. I mean, nobody wants someone droning on at them and just reciting dates one after the other. Is there any other major contrast that you can think of? Well, there's so many, Katie. There's so many. Okay, just pick a favorite. I think back to the kids thing. I think kids are a bigger part of the parents daily life or at least their social lives and I mean this goes back to sort of the kids going out to dinner with the parents I feel like in the states there's a big those are the parents and those are the children there's parent time and there's family time but there's definitely going to be grown-up time when the kids are not there I feel like in Italy that doesn't really exist. You go out to dinner, it's very common that you would just include your children. And it's not just because maybe you don't have a babysitter, but it's just because you want to socialize with your children. As I said, kids go to bed later, and I always think to myself, I love the fact that Aurelio goes to bed early because then we have grown-up time and we can have a conversation without a little kid interrupting or we can have a glass of wine without a little kid or watch a movie. And... A lot of my friends just don't have that. By the time their kids are in bed, they're ready to go to bed. I think that Italy is also an intergenerational culture. The grandparents and the parents and the kids living all together. It's much more common here. Or at least they spend tons of time together. And the grandparents pick the kids up from school. And the kids spend a couple of hours with the grandparents after school because the parents aren't home yet from work. I just think that family, I mean, it's... This is a cliche, but the family is so much more a part... The whole society revolves around the family, and it's just not that way in the States. It's interesting because it makes me, and maybe this is not the way to think about it, but what I was thinking, it makes it feel like, kind of like when Americans say that I need to have alone time. Almost like we delineate, in America, we delineate these borders around it, adult time, where we can really just oh, relax and be the adults that we are. Hypothetically, in Italy, if the kids are always just around, are people more able to just be the adults that they are while the kids are around? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak to that. You know, like there's Tiffany the mom. Yeah. And then there's Tiffany the person who watches the Queen's Gambit with Claudio. 
it's not like you're two different people, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I see it for myself, but I don't know, as far as Italians, if they make as much of a distinction. I mean, I'm sure they do, particularly in their work lives. You know, there's plenty of young Italian moms going off to work and totally changing, you know, switching the light over from being a mom of tiny kids to being, you know, maybe a businesswoman or something. But as far as in personal life, I just don't know because, I mean, I only know how my family works and... I mean, I guess my in-laws, I could sort of, but, you know, they're so much older. It's it's not really, it's kind of hard to compare. Yeah. But I personally feel that I need that. Maybe Italian moms or Italian parents don't feel that need quite so much. I, I'm not sure. Because, of course, you're going to be a hybrid of an American in Italy. You know, you are culturally raised American. I've always kind of laughed at myself because there are certain things that I have totally adopted of the Italian culture. And this might be a fun future episode to do. There's some things I'm like 100% Italian on and some things that I'm, I'm still so American about. And I think the way that I mother Aurelio is very much in an American way. But there are certain things that I'm just so, I've quote unquote gone native on. <laughs> I remember one of the other things that you are American on is what you want to eat for breakfast. Right, right, cereal pancakes cereal <laughs> yeah. cereal and preferably cereal without giant flakes of chocolate in it <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah like give me some grape nuts yeah how much would i love to find grape nuts over here that was my favorite <laughs> cereal as a kid oh uh, well maybe that's what i'll get you for christmas next year i'll get you a big box of grape nuts send it over <laughs> <laughs> well maybe we should leave it there that was an interesting question Stephen. thanks so much for writing Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. We love it when people write in with questions. We'll definitely make an effort to uh, address the questions when we get them. So uh, don't hesitate. Yeah, and don't forget, some of you have already sent in submissions of the souvenir that you have in your home. We are going to do a show on souvenirs in the coming week or two. And so if you have a souvenir in your house that reminds you very distinctly of a place that you went to visit... We want you to open your voice memo app, tell us what it is and where you got it from and why it's important. And we will be doing that show. We've already gotten some great submissions, so we'll take a few more though. So do it right now. Don't forget, send us your souvenirs and then email it to, to bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That is a new email address. Bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. It's in the show notes as well. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Need more show? Bonus episodes are released every single month at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get to hear even more. You'll find a link in the show notes. And if you jump on board at the $50 level, you get to dictate what topic we cover. For example, one Patreon subscriber had us do an entire show on cuteness. Become the director for $50 a month and support the show you love at the same time. Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.